Hello and welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast, episode nine. I have with me my regular co-host, Christine. Good evening. And our co-host, Nathan. Howdy. And today we have some pretty fun and a couple serious topics going on. Um, our first one, we wanted to give an update on last week's story of the Trump Accountability Project, which was sort of boosted by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and several Democratic operatives who worked for candidates such as Bernie Sanders and um, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, this project has been publicly canceled, uh, which is good. They posted an announcement, which will be linked in our show notes, that in light of President-elect Biden's speech on unity, they don't want to further division through this project. Um, I think it's a good step, but I remain extremely skeptical because I think these are the types of people who are very good at working behind the scenes. And it's quite likely that someone's already doing this in an organized way. Uh, for, for example, I would not put it past Media Matters for America to be running something like this. Um, just to pull it out in a year to damage a political opponent. I expect you're right, Ian, uh, especially considering the example that's already been set by the fact that First Lady Melania Trump hasn't been on any magazine covers at all during the entire time of this administration. And I think was that was setting the standard. That's correct. But they've already got Jill Biden on magazine covers. I think they were setting a standard. And well, I mean, to be they honest, had like uh, every Democratic primary candidate on magazine covers for a year, especially <laughs> now. Now, the the project itself said, in the spirit of the president-elect's call to build a more united country, this project will no longer be active. But former Obama and Clinton officials have actually still encouraged people to take these measures. So Harry Savugan, the, the former spokesman for the Obama campaign, said employers considering them should know there are consequences for hiring anyone who helped Trump attack American values. That looks to me very much like they may be considering a uh, campaign in other ways. Uh, what is that? I'm blanking on the name of the organization that sets up boycotts. This meeting matters. Yeah, but not just Media Matters. Um, oh, uh, Sleeping Giants? Yes, Sleeping Giants. I would expect we're going to see this resurrected through Sleeping Giants. I mean, those organizations are still very active. So I just think that this specific branding of this project has gone away. And I, I think it's good that this branding has gone away, but the spirit definitely is not going away. Yeah, I'd have to say... I think even best case scenario, this feels more like a publicity stunt than anything else. It's almost a simple attempt to, okay, now we can prove that Biden is really here to unify because he's obviously already shut down our program to target you. So he must be the good guy in this situation. They're very, very good at PR. All right. So moving on, we have uh, a nice story from one of our contributors on War Elephant about um, prisoner of war remains repatriation um, from the Korean War. And this is a joint project between the United States and the North Korean government. Um, there's about 
7,675 military personnel who are still listed as missing from the Korean War. Uh, we believe about 5,300 of them are in North Korea. Progress has been quite slow. Um, only 55 have been repatriated in the last four years, but compared to the 13 years prior to that, in which there were none, based on the stalling of the uh, nuclear talks between the Bush administration and no progress made whatsoever by the Obama administration, that is a big step forward for those 55 families. Um, and I do hope that it will continue, although it's stalled again, of course, because North Korea and most of the world is kind of holding its breath right now because of the instability in our government and succession. That's correct. And and work is ongoing for identification of, of remains in South Korea and in China as well. Very few remains are in China. And not as many remains, of course, are in South Korea as in North Korea. But this work is ongoing. And it is quite important um, for resolution for the families, for honoring the fallen. Uh, the Korean War has been calling, called many times the Forgotten War. And people don't really think about it. It doesn't loom so large on our consciousnesses as the Vietnam War does. But it was a profound action that many, many Americans fought in, and it, they deserve to be remembered and brought home. Yeah, I'd agree. We tend to focus so much on the, the bigger, more popular issues like the election and such that we really forget what those Americans went through and that we're still dealing with trying to bring back those remains. I mean, it's a huge impact on these families, and it's it'd be nice if we can at least get some more exposure for that. And now we have uh, a much more fun topic, which is uh, the new Star Wars series through Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. Season two is airing right now. And a couple of controversies have cropped up over this. Uh, I have not caught up with the series so far. I watched the first season and thought it was quite fun. Um, but there was a specific cultural commentator named Arnita Sarkeesian who is perhaps best known for her contributions to the cultural conflict in 2014 called Gamergate. And she has mostly been irrelevant for the last two or three years, thankfully, but <laughs> she still has a fair amount of cult followers. And she commented on the most recent, I think it's the most recent episode of The Mandalorian about how some of the female Mandalorian characters, one of whom is played by actress Katie Sackhoff, best known for her portrayal of Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica, uh, that there is boob armor. Now, Christine had some very cogent thoughts about what boob armor actually <laughs> means and what we're seeing here. So how about, can you share what you were saying about uh, World of Warcraft? Do you have a picture first of what this is? Yeah, I'll pull one up. So this is not what I think of when I think, and I should have picked up, pulled up a picture of what I think of when I think of boob armor. Um, when I started playing World of Warcraft years ago, I rolled a paladin. I liked the archetype. And I went into a dungeon and about level, I want to say 38 or so, and got my first full chainmail set because you don't, have plate armor at that point yeah here, here's here's you can you can just see there's there's a 
a slight difference between female and male forms. And I got my, my first set and I put it on. I was so excited because I'd seen other paladins wearing this male paladins armor. And, and it was great armor. It looked great. It was covering. It was protective. You looked like a paladin in it. I put the armor on and my character was running around in a chain mail bikini. She looked like an idiot. Her, her entire torso was exposed. It protected nothing. And she was not going to protect anyone in this. That was boob armor. Thank you, Ian. In the Here, middle here's there. Here's an example of what we're talking about, World of Warcraft. Yes. In the middle there is boob armor. <laughs> Chainmail bikini. Useless. Completely useless. And I saw this again and again and again. And... It was irritating to me. I loved it when they finally introduced the transmog system where you could change your your skins of your costumes so that they looked like whatever you want. Because I didn't care if other people wanted to look like idiots. I didn't. <laughs> I, I just wanted to play a female character. Um, this in The Mandalorian is not that. It's not overt sexualization. It's clothing that fits a female character. Uh, I have not Really, I'm not sure if Anita Sarkeesian realizes this, but women are not built the same way men are. Our clothing is cut differently. Our waists are smaller on average, although they can be larger because you know, human variation is a is a thing. And uh, the uh, the armor here follows the actress's body. I should also point out that Anita Sarkeesian is perhaps best known for wearing flannel shirts, which are extremely um, gender neutral. And she tends to be very unaccepting of women with more visibly feminine characteristics. She tends to really push for very skinny, non um not very statuesque uh, female characters and media because she's very sex negative. Um, and one of the videos that we're linking in our show notes is from um, Liana Kersner, who was a feminist and uh, games commentator also during Gamergate. And she is very sex positive. Now, as conservatives, we don't completely agree with the sex positive perspective, but I do think that it acknowledges more truth than the sex negative perspective, which is that there are differences and you shouldn't shame people for having those differences. Um, so I would definitely recommend people check out the video that we're linking about the boob armor. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, I nailed on uh, world of Warcraft there. And if Mark Kern somehow sees us, I follow you on Twitter. I love your work. I am not knocking the navel, okay? For, for the record. I just like it being a choice. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the sex positive, sex negative thing, really neither. We're kind of in the middle, in a compromised position about healthy body attitudes. And what I'm seeing here is just a costume that fits a character. Not overt sexualization. And we've talked about overt sexualization. So anyone who follows us knows we're not for overt sexualization. Uh, especially in our context of our conversation about cuties, which um, 
is very specifically about the sexualization of children. But I think we also made, I would think, um, but of course I was one of the people making the points that we made really good points about just women being taken advantage of in the entertainment industry. Now, yes, of course, a video game character is not a real woman, so it's not quite the same situation, but it does, to some extent, promote some of the same attitudes. Now, I, I think it is very difficult to apply the same kind of analysis to a video game as you can to television or a comic book or other... Um, consumable rather than interactive because I think the interactive nature, especially since a lot of men will be playing the female characters. Um, yes, they do like the um, attractive qualities of a character's dress or body, but they also have more identification. So it's less straight objectification of the female don't, body. Don't underestimate the power of the third person view Ian. I, I am not. I'm not saying it is none. I just think that it, you can't straightforwardly apply standard media criticism to video games. No, you, you probably can't. Uh, and I actually learned a lot listening to Anita Sarkeesian in the early days before Gamergate. A, a lot about um, how to think about feminist theory from her. She had a lot of insights. I listened to Lacey Green, who is a sex positive person, learned a lot from her, um, and how people think in modern feminism. Don't always agree. Don't always disagree. I learned that people have interesting ideas well, out I, there. Was it last episode or two episodes ago that we had our long conversation about feminism? I think it was, it was two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Um, and that I really wanted to try and capture just how fragmented the feminist discourse is because they don't have a leader and they don't really have a movement per se. Um, so that's part of the problem when engaging with feminist critiques because there are plenty of feminists who will, who will look at what Anita Sarkeesian is saying and say, no, that doesn't represent feminism. And there are plenty of non-feminists who would agree with Anita Sarkeesian because I mean um, that was one of the big things is the sex negative feminists would often um, make common cause with uh, anti-pornography activists mm -hmm. on the right. That was a big thing mm -hmm. in the 80s at least. Yeah. So it's complicated um, but in terms of the boob armor I think that definitely in this case Anita Sarkeesian is choosing uh, a, a battle that she shouldn't try to fight. Like if, if this were a world of Warcraft, we could definitely have a conversation, but this is, I would argue, practical and sensible costuming choices. And the critique of this being boob armor is unhelpful for her cause, let alone any serious analysis of the show. And I don't think anyone's going to have to cover their children's eyes when they see it or explain <laughs> it to their children as problematic. I, and Nathan is just looking at us incredulously. Well, I watched the show with my family, with my, you know, 13, 15 year old sister. And believe me, there's not a whole lot of stuff I'm even allowed to watch. And we were allowed to watch this. There was no my dad going, oh, good heavens. Oh, my. Turn off the screen. That's enough. <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty sure that the uh, costumes in Star Trek were a lot more risque, to be honest. 
thing as the son of a big, big Trekkie fan. Yeah, he's frequently pointed out that they didn't age well in terms of costumes. I, I remember some of the stuff Deanna Troy wore. I'm just going to say. All right. So the second part of our Mandalorian discussion features another female um, element, which is actress Gina Carano, who came from the world of, uh, I believe it's mixed martial arts. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. And she plays a former uh, rebel trooper on the show. And she also has decided, I don't, this article that is in our show notes claims that she has conservative beliefs. I'm not sure I, I see that. I mostly see her just not being interested in being politically correct. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say she's a conservative. I think she's just, you know, trying to think through things on her own and doesn't want to join with certain groups. Um, but there has been a lot of backlash um, for a couple of things she said. And um, I think that it's, it's very frustrating that people aren't willing to just treat each other in a more civil way. And I think that this goes, this isn't certainly just a left versus right thing because I, I do think that the way certain actors and actresses like um, uh, Kelly Marie Tran from The Last Jedi and uh, John Boyega from all of the sequels, they certainly got a fair amount of um, hate. Um, now I may not agree with their political stances, but I think attacking them is completely out of line. Um, I think the problem is that if you make a statement that appears to be on part of one's side, then you become a legitimate target for the other side. And I think that is unacceptable. I think that no matter what someone's political beliefs are, you should respect them as a person. Yeah, I found this controversy particularly interesting because when I first saw her in The Mandalorian, honestly, my thought was, this seems like the archetype of the strong, independent woman that we are often told we need more in media. And to me, it was like, okay, so we're finally trashing this idea. Okay, it's the skinny woman who's going around and beating up people. She is a muscular, powerful woman. They some clear strength there. So I figured, okay, so she must obviously be on the good side of the woke people. She must be in that crowd. But evidently there is nothing that can protect you, not even being a literally strong, independent woman. And I, I would like to point out that I actually went to see her first movie, Haywire, directed by Steven Soderbergh in theaters, and I really liked her stunt work there. I didn't think she was that great of an actress because she's a big smart artist, so that's fine. But uh, she did really fantastic stunt work just demonstrating what she can do with her body. And I think mm -hmm. I would like it if we had more action heroines like that who were built with muscles and, um, you know, really could do things. Like, I watch a lot of these stunt people react videos that have been going viral on the internet. And there's some women who really put in the work and you can see what they can do. And it doesn't look like the kind of... Um, punches that you'd see from most standard actresses. And I would also say that these punches don't work for men either. If you've got your very small man punching a very large man, I don't, I think that convention is generally just unhelpful. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Ian. 
that there there is a um, size and context are always important when you're putting these things together. I guess I'm trying to look through this actress's Twitter feed and see what the controversy is compared to some of the tweets that I saw that you linked. I'm not seeing the issue. I'm just and seeing lots of people freaking out over things I don't see her having said. Yeah. Um, and so I think that mostly covers what I wanted to cover with the Mandalorian. I do think it's a quite enjoyable show. Um, I haven't, as I said, watched the, um, the second season yet. My brother is watching it and he likes it quite a bit, but I will say that as someone who grew up with star Wars in the nineties and for me, star Wars is primarily the novels. Um, I actually read the novelizations before I even saw the movie. So I have a very weird perspective on star Wars and I thought that the Mandalorian actually expanded the Star Wars universe in a way that was really interesting, unlike a lot of the stuff in the recent sequel movies, which was either directly connected to the movies, like Rogue One, so it felt... It didn't feel like its own story. It felt like setting up another story. Mm -hmm. and Or Solo, which did the same thing. I mean, Solo basically exists to explain the five or six lines of dialogue Han Solo has at the beginning of his uh, part in the fourth movie or it's a rehash of the original movies like the <laughs> sequel trilogy. those are all basically just taking plot points from the original movies and mashing them together the mandalorian that was an original insight ian <laughs> i know i'm so brilliant but uh, <laughs> the mandalorian uh actually does the exact same thing that star wars did which was take pieces of kurosawa films and um uh, you know, World War II dogfighter films and uh, the Flash Gordon serial. So it like took these things and mashed them together in uh, a fresh and original way. The Mandalorian does the same thing with Westerns. So if you've watched, you know, those classic spaghetti Westerns with Clint Eastwood and Charles yeah. Bronson, the Mandalorian takes those tropes and puts them in Star Wars. And I think that is the kind of thing that really makes for a good Star Wars content. Um, I personally would love to see someone try to do a detective show in Star Wars because I think that would be fantastic. Um, and they actually did a couple novels like that. So I think there's precedent for a detective style show in Star Wars that would allow you to do <laughs> things like Coruscant, you know, the grimy underbelly of the city planet. That would be interesting. I'd like to see that. Uh, uh, preferably not on a subscription only. <laughs> I cannot afford all of these subscription only things. I'm sorry. I, there's too many of them. It's it's going back to cable. <laughs> they need to bundle the cable, the streamings. I, well, I actually I was in favor of being able to buy things a la carte, but everything, everything a la carte is like ten dollars, fifteen ninety-nine a month. And I was thinking like a dollar a month, you know, where I could buy a channel for a dollar a month. I can't afford $14.99 a month for every channel. Well, I think that they they expect people to really be heavy users like mm -hmm. i don't watch a whole lot so i think for the amount i would watch five dollars a month would be reasonable but they can't survive on that so they're really hoping that people are watching you know every night like they used to watch tv yeah but then you're locked in to one provider 
forever. And, you know, I looked at that and I looked at my budget and I said, uh, I can read books from the library for free. <laughs> DVDs still exist at the library. That's true too. Yes. Yes. And, and I have, I've bought too many of them anyway. <laughs> yep. Same. <laughs> um, all right. So moving on to our last topic, uh, Justice Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito gave some remarks to the Federalist Society recently in which he highlights uh, some of the problems faced in the constitutional arena um, prompted by the corona crisis. And Christine highlighted some of the things that I think we should talk about. Yeah, I actually listened to his entire talk and because there was some controversy about them. And what he, one of the things he was addressing were, were cases that have come before the court regarding COVID-19 and religious freedom. And one of them was a case in Nevada about houses of worship where they're limiting the number of people in attendance to 50. You can't have 51, regardless of the size of the house of worship or any measures that are being taken. And he said, if you go to Nevada, you can gamble, drink, and attend all sorts of shows. But here's what you can't do. If you want to worship and you're the 51st person in line, sorry, you're out of luck. Houses of worship are limited to 50 attendees. The size of the building doesn't matter, nor does it matter if you wear a mask and keep more than six feet away from everybody else. And it doesn't matter if the building is carefully sanitized before and after a service. The state's message is, Forget about worship and head for the slot machines or maybe a Cirque du Soleil show. And it's not just Nevada. It's other states as well. Louisiana, Michigan, even California has repeatedly had cases come before the court. In Los Angeles County, houses of worship are still 100% shut down. While the malls, nail salons, pizza parlors, they're all open but people can't go in to worship. And, and he argued that religion is definitely at risk of becoming a second amendment or a first amendment, uh, second tier right. One that people are very loath to defend. And he put it in context of, for example, abortion availability. One of the things that came up during the COVID restrictions was the need to get a prescription for mifepristone, the, the uh, drug which causes um, chemical abortions. And the court actually ruled that it violates your constitutional right to an abortion to require a prescription because it was hard to get into a doctor during March and April. Now, if they said that you have a constitutional right to have an abortion, so you can't, don't have to go to a doctor, but you still don't have a constitutional right to practice your religion, this is, this is a huge fault line in how the courts and how the government is looking at religion in America. Did you have any thoughts, Nathan? <laughs> I was, I just can't help but take the cynical side here and just 
think that it's mainly because we don't have as many lobbyists or interest groups that are going to be pressuring the government to reopen religious institutions. Because probably the primary reason we have bars and such open is because we have lobbyists who are economically invested in. We want these businesses reopened because we want the tax revenue and we want whatever they're paying us to influence you. And unfortunately, churches don't have that, which is really sad. It's really dangerous to the right to religion we have if we don't have lawmakers who are willing to defend it but that's honestly probably why at this point i think that's a, a very good insight and i generally don't have too much to say because i think alito if you actually read alito's context um and think about what's going on in the various uh states that he's referring to uh, it's fairly self-explanatory. I think there's some commentators who are trying to cherry-pick some of his quotes to make him sound, quote-unquote, hyper-partisan, as Slate liked to call it. But I think that the actual remarks are quite sane and, and reasonable. Um, and and he, made, he made sure to contextualize this, that it applies to all religions. It's not just the Christian religion. You know, this is affecting... Muslims and it's affecting Jews and it's affecting Hindus. It's affecting Buddhists. It's affecting every religion. It's, it's affecting Wiccans. If, if you want to gather for your religious observances right now, that ability in many states is being severely abrogated. And it's not just the ability to gather. There are other issues with religious expression that are being curtailed and very few people are willing to stand up and talk about it. And then he also contextualized it like in terms of the masterpiece cake lawsuit as well. And how few people want to defend that right because it gets intertwined with uh, conf other conflicting rights and nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history. Uh, not thinking about the fact that there really isn't a wrong side when it comes to people being able to simply live according to their consciences. So that's been our editor's pick. Please check out our Quora community, which is currently the hub of where we post our content. We also have a Discord community, which will be linked in our show notes. Please join. We're happy to have you as long as you're willing to abide by our three R's. Uh, researched, relaxed, and respectful. If you can be those three things, you are welcome. No matter what your perspective, no matter what your allegiance, we welcome all faith, creed, color, sex, gender, everything. Um, please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like this content. Leave comments. I appreciate uh, Vivek and the Zero Thermic for leaving some comments in our chat as we stream today. Um, give us a thumbs up and share on social media if you feel like it, if you think we said anything interesting, or if you want someone to come leave angry comments, that would also be a, a fun thing, especially about that blue bomber. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed it, and we'll definitely be here next week. Thanks, Christine and Nathan, for joining me. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>